The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's get to our guest for the half hour. Ben Emmons is with us. He is senior portfolio manager, also the head of fixed income macro strategies at New Edge Wealth, joining us from L.A. Ben, nice to have you on the program on a holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope things are well with you. Talk to me about uh, your reading on these Fed minutes. They they seem pretty dovish, no? Hey, Doc. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me back. Um, yeah, they read, I guess, more dovish from the tone that uh, Powell struck in that press conference the last time, right? When the statement came out, the market reacted favorably, then Powell started really speaking to higher rates and quite hawkish. But these minutes do reflect that that view that Powell has. But overall, the, the assessment, particularly by the Fed staff, was about, well, yes, the economy is really slowing down. The risk of recession is increasing. Uh, they actually actually make a forecast that the unemployment rate could go above the Fed's um, estimate of the natural unemployment rate by, say, 2024. And then you saw really yields tumbling on, uh, once I think those headlines started to come out. So that did read, I guess, dovish that way. But on, in the end, Doug, though, the, the division within the Fed is, is very low, if not nihil, really because they are all on the same board that they have to drive up rates still further from here meaning like a higher terminal rate than what's being communicated before. And that seems to be now in a five, five and a quarter percent range or about. I think that was an important ben. aspect of this minute. Yeah. Yeah, Ben, I, I think you used the uh, the analogy of uh, aircraft, at least you did, and Patrick Waller did, which you at the moment are also saying is the rising star, as it were. Yes, and, and I think that analogy is very accurate, right? So they're still in going to, you know, cruising altitude, if you will, right? We're still up in the plane, up in the air. And we haven't really gotten to that, to that point where then the plane starts to like sort of be in an ascent and, and be stable, right? So... So I think he's right that, you know, they still have more to go. And so this is why that yield curve inversion is getting worse every day. Right? We hit negative 80 basis points in intraday and uh, after the minutes came out. So I think it shows that the market is willing to price even more inversion from here, probably will surpass the, the 100 basis points in the next week or so mm. as we're heading towards uh, core PC and payrolls, right? And again, reflection of the market understands the Fed wants to get to a, a much higher rate than what they've been communicating in the past. That was, again, the mes- message from the minutes f- from what I thought. Even economists at the Fed are now telling uh, members of the committee that the risk of recession has grown to nearly 50-50. So we're essentially at a coin toss here, Ben. I mean, the question now, how deep? Do you think it's going to be severe? Uh, it may be, Doug. Like, you know, they do point out that they that there are some people in the Fed that are worried that if you get to really high levels of rates, that there's a lot of instability created, right? And then that makes the downturn even worse, right? If you get financial instability. So that is something to, that we have to keep in mind. At the moment, the data does not reflect any of that, right? The slowdown 
but GDP data is strong, spending data is strong. Uh, confidence has been very negative because of inflation, but inflation started to moderate to an extent. So we don't deal actually with an economy that's heading towards a, a, a cliff, right? But you know they have to be careful, and therefore they're putting that out in, the, in, in, in statements and minutes and speeches that, yeah, it could, it could get worse. Ben, was the market reaction warranted? To some extent, Rich, but I would say that you know, if you're getting a 10-year yield now drifting lower, say, towards sort of 3.5% that may happen near term, I would say that would be probably too low from where the Fed wants to go with rates because even though the, uh, the yield curve is very inverted, the, the, the two-year yield will probably drift higher from here, reflecting this, this higher terminal rate, and the 10-year yield should be pulled up again. Right? So it was, I think, a reaction to the future, but not to the present. Let's continue the conversation on the Fed, Ben, before we pivot to Asia and bring the dollar into the conversation. We saw a lot of weakness uh, yesterday as those yields moved lower across the curve. Have we seen, given everything that we're describing, have we seen peak dollar? I think I've seen it temporarily, Doug, because since the middle of October, indeed, the dollar index peaked. And I think a lot of us explained by the way the, the sterling has, has appreciated because of you know, all the distress that was priced out of that currency as the budget issues were, were taken care of and the Bank of England stepped in. And then obviously the reaction in the euro is very notable too, to the, the ECB being basically committed to start raising rates with, with 50 to 75 base points at a time. So I think that explains the inter- interest rate differential change there on the dollar. But if you think about the global economy, the dollar I think is starting to react to what's happening with the lockdowns in China. Uh, because it does come through PMI data, also, and you saw it in the services PMI, for example, just just uh, before the holiday. You know that that does show that there is an impact from from the global slowdown coming through PMI data here. So I think if you take that together, and again plotting the dollar against say this the, the two tenths U curve, then there is a expectation that yes, the economy is moving to a slower path in the future that should lead to slower rate hikes. Therefore. A, a weaker dollar than what we have been. But, but, but let's face it, we also had the strongest dollar, you know, in, in at least 10, 15 years, right? So it's definitely that reason, too, that the dollar's just come off its high, but it's still really strong from more than a year ago. Ben, okay, let's say that uh, we've had the dollar being driven up, particularly against uh, the uh, euro and arguably as well sterling. I'm not going to go with the, uh, talk about the yen uh, because of interest rate differentials. What time and when do let's say economic performance differences start to play a role i think it starts to play a role right now rich i think that i, I noted that as the u curve uh, continues to invert further that all, as much as that is all monetary policy tightening from the fed still priced in there's now i think we're getting to a point where the u curve is also really signaling the slowdown and i think comparing the u curve to what's happening in, in forward-looking indicators like ism pmi you can see it there, the similar trend. And and I think that is where now the dollar starts to react to as well. Like the recognition that this 4.3% on GDP now that we still have for this quarter, which is much of a boost from trade and inventory, that that is changing, right? That there's going to be more slowdown. So we're right here now. So meaning there could be somewhat more downside for the dollar from here. Speaking of downside, with the COVID situation in China getting worse, I mean, we're looking at the high likelihood of a much weaker Chinese economy. Ben, what kind of drag will that have for the global economy? It could be significant because, you know, that, that, that 
is was like that a number of years ago as well, where you know China is and continues to be a significant driver of global growth. So I would say I estimated they think it's a it's a seven tenths to a percentage point of global GDP. That's pretty substantial, right? If 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 you continue to stay in these really harsh lockdowns. With the only benefit, I do say that the, that the supply chain pressures have, at, at the moment at least, eased quite a bit. And that's also, I think, part of just the slowdown that's happening overall. You know, the demand is waning. Therefore, that easing of, of supply chains. But what we can conclude too, Doug, is that these COVID uh, policies that we have in China, it will take some time to get completely out of it, but they will change, obviously. And there was a week ago a lot of news out that they are willing to start vaccination of of, of um, with using Pfizer vaccines, and that I think is an important turnaround in that COVID policy. So near-term weakness will will drag on the global economy, but I think next year, if, if China's economy fully reopens, that would be initially a boost to the global economy through trade and and commodity demand. Uh, rarely, Ben. I don't think ever has the United States actually been uh, it had had it import a res- recession. They've exported all of them, it would seem. And uh, uh, the <laughs> next one always comes from somewhere that you don't expect. It's always out of left field. You prepare for the last war as opposed to the one which actually arrives. Yeah, for sure, and, and you know the shock of Ukraine, we've sort of really worked that off now, right? And, and will there be another shock? Right, that's to be seen, but possible. And, you know, the next still risk that's coming along is that if, if it's indeed leading to finally an official recession in, in China, yes or no, that could be a big a big risk, right? Or it is this sudden flip of the strength of the economy we've seen currently in the United States getting closer to the cliff and, and all of a sudden everything turns here and becomes a recession. I think those are, are like macro risks ahead of us that are the market is definitely uh, getting ready for. And, and as much as it's well telegraphed out there, it will always come as a surprise, right? And and you know the bullishness you're seeing in equities and bonds, they may change then quick. Ben, very 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 quickly in ten seconds, how uh, where will the S and P five hundred be at the end of December? Uh, I still think it's going to be around four thousand or so. We we kind of we, we may break to four thousand briefly, but then we'll fall right back. <laughs> The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.